I'm Haley from Gallifrey Public Radio, a Doctor Who fandom podcast and part of the Gunna Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned, and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting geeky shows at GunnaGeekNetwork.com. You are listening to the Starling Tribune, a podcast dedicated to the Arrow TV show. This guy gets more airtime than the Kardashians, right? And we are your Tribune reporter. With me are Chris Farrell. Hello, hello. The French-Canadian sensation, Jean-Sebastien. Hey! And myself, John D. And all part of the Gunna Geek Network, of course. And welcome to the first Starling Tribune. And welcome to another edition of the Starling Tribune. Uh, I'm Wing, and this week uh, I'm joined by... Stargate Pioneer. You can call me SP, big guy. <laughs> Thank you very much. I've been regenerated. Oh, I like that. I like that. 2.0. Or 2.1 or 1.1 or whatever works out. 1.0.1. You're reported this week for the Season 1, Episode 17. Uh, I'm joined by Stargate Pioneer. Hello, I'm your car valet for this week. You can trust me with the keys to your Maserati. You really can. Of course. And Jay. Hey, what am I doing here? This is the wrong cast. What am I doing? Uh, don't you talk about Dr. Who on Gallifrey Public Radio on the Ganaki Network usually? Uh, most of the time, yeah. Okay. Just wanted to be sure. And your reporter this week, I'm joined by Chris. Hello, hello. Big Papa Stephen. That's what they call me in the slammer. The Russian prison. <laughs> And reporters for this episode 8 of the third season of Arrow, The Brave and the Bold. I am Wing, and, and with me is Star Pie. I need to get some paperweights down here. And Lobster? We can discuss it over coffee with Deathstroke and the Huntress. And... <laughs> <laughs> and your reporters for this special season 3 recap of the Starling Tribune. I am Wing, and with me is Star Pie. Are we favor friends now? Are we friends? Chris? The demon's head does not take prisoners. And Neil? I never said I didn't know how to use a gun. <laughs> And your reporters for this 13th episode of the third season of Arrow, titled Canaries. I am SP, and with me is Chris. If you beg forgiveness for trying to harm my daughter, I'll grant you a quick death. And joining us this week is Ferris. But there's some place I can go where you won't dare follow. And Anthony. Our grandmothers were alcoholics. <laughs> Lots of eggnog there. And then special guest reporter this week, Haley. That tiny thing tells you what to do. Yes, yes, that tiny watch tells me what to do. Watch. Oh, is that what she was talking about? Okay. That's right. And Jenny. Bad guy, remember? Welcome back to the Starling Tribune. I am Stargate Pioneer, my friends. Call me SP. And your reporters for this 18th episode of Season 4 of the Starling Tribune are Michelle. One last time. I am the Green Arrow. The Green Arrow has entered through the front door. This podcast is not produced or maintained by the CW. Warner Brothers Television. CTV or DC Comics. All characters, situations, and stories are the properties of Time Warner. I am the Oracle, and this is your Tribune.
Welcome back to Earth Prime's favorite newspaper, the Starling Tribune. I am the retiring chief editor, SP, and your other award-winning reporters for the special episode number 263 of the Starling Tribune are Chris. That's because your arms are the size of telephone poles. Yes. And Michelle. If the past eight years has shown us anything, it's that this universe is far bigger than any of us could have dared imagine. It's a big Arrowverse. This podcast is recorded on Thursday, January 30th, 2020, live on www.geeks.live. That's right. And this evening, it's the end of the line as we're discussing the series finale of Arrow, the show that started it all. While we may discuss other CWDC TV shows, come on, let's be honest, our focus it's on the finale. Thank you for finding us and listening to us for 263 episodes. We appreciate and love all of you. We watched the finale two episodes ago. I have a hunch some of us watched it way more than once. Michelle, break down the creative team for us. This episode is called Fade Out, Season 8, Episode 10. It aired Tuesday, January 28, 2020. What's interesting about the creative team is that everyone has been there from the beginning. This episode was directed by James Banford. His Arrow credits include an uncredited stunt coordinator and fight coordinator for the pilot, fight choreographer for seven episodes that was started again in 2012, stunt coordinator, 23 episodes, fight coordinator, 38 episodes, supervising stunt coordinator, 21 episodes, Directing 17 episodes. His first one was called Brotherhood. Written by Beth Schwartz. Arrow credits, of course, the current showrunner. Written by 32 episodes. Her first episode was Vendetta, season one, episode eight, which is, of course, in 2012. Executive story editor, 23 episodes. Story by two episodes. Teleplay, one episode. Co-producer. 23 episodes, co-executive producer, 46 episodes, and executive producer, 32 episodes. Mark Guggenheim, Arrow Credits, developed by 170 episodes, written by 21 episodes, teleplay, 19 episodes, story by 7 episodes, executive producer, 126 episodes, and consulting producer, 30 episodes. And Arrow premiered October 10th, 2012, and ran for 170 episodes. Mark Guggenheim did run the finale by the co-creator, Greg Berlanti, and Greg said, go, run with it. So Mark and Beth did a great job setting it up. Greg didn't have anything more to add to it. He just applauded, and I guess they moved on with the production. This episode aired in a light week of CW shows, and I say light week because we have the shows returning from the crisis. Not all of them aired. Part of that is there was a special preceding the finale episode of Arrow. It was called Hitting the Bullseye. That aired Tuesday the 28th of January 2020 to a live rating of 0.66. If you haven't had a chance to watch it yet, if you Listen to us talking about the After the Crisis specials. It's completely different. It's a great retrospective of Arrow. I would 
heartily recommend if you're an Arrow fan, if you've gotten this far in this series, go check that one out. It is available on the CW app. Preceding these episodes, on Sunday the 26th of January, Batwoman aired the 11th episode of their first season, an on-birthday present to a live rating of 0.67. And I have to say, Michelle, you and I were a little bit misdirected on what we thought was a misdirect, but it was a decent episode on Sunday. Following Batwoman was Supergirl, airing the 11th episode of their fifth season, Back from the Future Part 1, to a live rating of 0.81. On Monday... Black Lightning aired the 11th episode of their third season, The Book of Markovia, Chapter 2, Lynn's Addiction, to a live rating of 0.66. And this finale episode of Arrow aired in the 9 o'clock slot Eastern Time on Tuesday, the 28th of January, to a live rating of 0.73, which, given everything else right now, is pretty good. I think we're going to get a lot of plays after the fact, especially when a lot of the news articles got out there. So this will be interesting to watch if you go and research on your own what the Live Plus 7 day DVR numbers were for Arrow. Guys, we always talk about the overall theme of the episode in context of the title of the episode. I was actually a little shocked what one of the methods for this title was, but Michelle, what were the themes to the episode? Well, it's the last episode, one of the most common ways to end a scene or a movie or something is to fade out, and that's the title that we have, Fade Out. I did enjoy the fact that the fade out was also a portion of the bow. I didn't realize that, and I was like, oh, that's pretty cool when Mia was describing the bow to her brother. William, who probably had no idea who's talking to his sister. Uh, that was pretty neat scene with Felicity eyeing on. So, Michelle, what do you think? We're going to start talking with the fights or what? Oh, boy. <laughs> right? We thought Stephen Amell was just uh, maybe slightly exaggerating, saying it was their best fight ever. Oh, no, this was their best fight ever. <laughs> Why don't we start with that fight? I know we have quibbles about the other parts of the episode, but. Let's go through this. I timed it. Three minute sequence. And he's going after John Byrne. This is the flashback to 2012. It was all, of course, filmed for the finale. And boy, did they ever get to go out. He's going to get him at the brewery. And we got the first room. I only counted three cuts. I know we've been talking about how they cut and pan and everything. But we got backward tracking. He's slamming guys into pipes and denting them. That scene where the first room in that where he just stops at the top of that stairwell. And the guy's just like, please, no. And he's just like, shoots him anyway. Cold blooded. I didn't know if this was Stephen Amell or if this was stunt person or a combination thereof. Kind of like what daredevil did with their first tremendous hallway fight scene i thought there were a lot more cuts in this scene when i watched it the third time i just took my time and tried to do what you did is started counting maybe i didn't catch them all but there were a lot of quick pans which continued the fight with the same camera unless they cut it and i just didn't see it that panned the camera and just switched to a different view 
this did allow to change out some actors to reset some stunt people, I think possibly, but if true, they did a lot more continuous fight scenes for a lot longer than I thought the first time I watched. I think so. And in regards to whether it was Stephen Amell under the hood, some all or part of the time, I wager he tried to be under the hood for as much as possible in this one. He's always said before he tries to do as many of his own stunts as possible. And he had done interviews saying how excited he was about the ridiculously intense over the top final fight scene that he got to do because it was bigger than anything they'd ever done before. So my guess is he probably was like, I want to be in as much of this as possible. So probably him a lot of the time. I was wondering if this was indeed the best fight in Arrow because there have been some group choreography shots that were pretty good. Matter of fact, I was thinking back just the last season in Slab Side, for example, which was pretty cool. But this had all the hallmarks of Arrow in it. You had him shoot an arrow and come up off uh, to the top of the, I don't know what you want. I, Refinery building or something? Yeah, I was going to say grain elevators, but probably not the case. Anyway, he's up on top, and then you see him go from building to building, and he does the hero landing, the arrow hero landing, which has that leg severely extended. And at parts of it, I was like, is this CGI or is this real? And I was like, I don't care. I'm getting a comic book action coming to life. It was pretty cool. It was a fantastic fight scene. This is their hallway fight scene. Like when you talk about Daredevil for the longest time, everyone's like, oh, it's always the hallway fight scene until they would one up at the following seasons, things like that. This is the definitive fight for Arrow that a lot of people are going to think about because A, it's the last one we really got, but B, it's also probably one of the longest, most intense with some of the best choreography for an individual fighting than we've seen you mentioned we had some really good team fights and things like that in the past that's also true but uh james bamford just knocked it out of the park obviously the right choice to finish up the series if you want to put an incredibly awesome badass fight scene in it and that's what this was it was fantastic it has probably moved up to my favorite fight scene in the show before that had been the final battle between slade and ollie which while it's not the greatest fight it was the emotional tension in it that made it so good to me and because I love those characters a lot still to this day, it still resonates with me. But this is, this is very good. I've gone through and watched it, I think, only twice now, because I was geeking out so much the first time I had to try and restrain myself, pull back, and make, okay, focus, focus. You have to podcast about this. You can't sit there going, oh my god, oh my god, yee, and making weird squealing noises as cool things happen. Chris, just to back you up really quick in the fact that Stephen Amell likes to do a lot of his fights, remember that fight on the mountaintop? He fell off a mountain. He's that committed. He let himself get stabbed and fall off a mountain. Before that, though, the entire fight was him. It was not done with a stunt double, and that would have been very hard to do at the time because they were shirtless. Right. (laughs) I mean, and just to go back, I mean, you had that second room where he's flipping guys over pipes and he jumps over the pipe. And then we go into that third room. You know, he's flipping guys over And that's where you get where he gets surrounded. You got that overhead shot. And then that's where we get that nice slow-mo shot of him coming up. And then when he's actually going up, he's actually shooting guys with the arrows, like going on the way up. I mean, he's dodging bullets. He's busting heads. He put this one guy like through the column. Which was awesome. This was just, yeah. It was brutal, too, because it was old school, Oliver. There's a couple more things I want to say about this. First of all, 
I thought that maybe they might show Diggle coming in and helping and assisting at the end because that would prove that Oliver would need help on the field or something like that. But they went a different path to that. They didn't show Diggle coming in and, and saving the day. They let Oliver do what he needed to do and not kill Burn and then come back and tell Diggle and then basically tell Diggle, you keep doing that and I might take you out in the field. So that was one thing. The other thing I want to mention is that there was a lot of articles that came out after the finale, and I read a bunch. I didn't get through all of them, but Mark Guggenheim, Beth Schwartz, and David Ramsey were doing a press junket after they premiered the final episode, and I don't know when or where they did that. I guess I'm a bad editor for Starling Tribune for not knowing that, but what I did understand was that the show was never had never received an action or a stunt Emmy or something like that. And Mark Guggenheim basically came out and said, I don't care if we do or not, but he sent the scene, not the dailies, but the scene to the heads of CW and just said, Hey, look, this is what you guys have bought over eight years. This is what we got. And I don't even care if we win a award or not an Emmy or not. I just want to make sure that the team that put all this together over the past eight years, get recognition for what's going on here. Because back in 2012, this came out about the same time as Daredevil, and you were talking about this sort of fighting. The rest of the CW shows don't really do this. This is kind of singular because it's hand-to-hand combat and it's street fighting. And this choreography has lasted longer than Daredevil. Daredevil had, what, three seasons? This is eight seasons. Three plus the Defenders crossover. That's fair. Yeah. I haven't watched much uh, Batwoman yet this season, but you could have similar fighting, I guess, in Batwoman. I'm not sure. Maybe James Bamford gets to come involved with some of the Batwoman stuff as Arrow has wrapped its run. Could lead through some pretty cool fight scenes. We already know he's awesome at fight choreography and directing episodes. Make it happen, Batwoman crew. Bring James Bamford in. You won't regret it. Yeah, this is the major flashback because this episode is taking place a month after Crisis. It is the time when they are getting ready to mourn Oliver. And we find out who's alive. Oliver, as the Spectre, he got to reboot the universe. And I thought it was interesting how he got to do everything. And it's like he made this perfect star city. But everywhere else, you know, like you're on your own. LOL. Like you do your thing. But Star City, I'm going to make this almost utopia. For my kids. I think it was more than just his kids. I think he was trying to put together a Star City that he was striving for from the beginning. Since he came back, he changed his mission from trying to rectify what his father was doing or avenge his father to saving Star City. I think, and this catchphrase was from almost day one, you have failed the city. So there's that. But I, I think it took a while from him to make it his mission to save the city. And even though you had Crisis, you had all the other crossovers where you literally saved the planet, his focus was always on Star City. His focus was not on anywhere else. And he arguably saved the city by remaking it into something that was safe, but kept the best of what he and his team had done over eight years to try and shift it and kept people alive that would be important to him, to his family, but also potentially to the ongoing existence of the city. I mean, when we find out some of these folks are alive, 
I don't think any of us could dispute that having Quentin Lance alive is important for the future of Star City at that point in time. And a kinder, gentler Moira Queen that we seem to see might be better for the future of Star City, be it through philanthropic endeavors, continuing on the charitable side of Oliver Queen's work. He brought back all the key players he needed to try and keep Star City being the idyllic paradise. Well, maybe that's too strong, but the the beacon of goodness that he sort of turned it into post-crisis as the Spectre. And in the intro, he does seem to indicate that he still is the Spectre too, which I thought was interesting versus just being dead. Side note, I know, but... One could argue the three main characters that are still alive that might have shaped things differently, Moira Crean, Tommy Merlin, and Quint Lance... I know there's others, but those are the three that really come to mind. I think Moira's death probably shaped his life more so than any others. But Moira's being alive is probably why we still have the Queen Mansion. Because in the comics, the comic 2.0, season 2.0 that they put out, that is when the Queen Mansion was torched. And with Moira Queen not dying and being there, maybe she's there to prevent that from happening. And that's why Queen Mansion is still there. Tommy died at the end of season one he would have had a profound impact on oliver over the ensuing seven seasons i don't know what do you guys think when would tommy have known that oliver is the green arrow i mean they could have kept it roughly the same timeline as him finding out in season one it's just he lives through the undertaking and we know that it did change things because the resurrected tommy merlin's talking to earth Two laurel basically says this is kind of weird because i was married to laurel here so it really did reshape things makes you wonder well if laurel was married to tommy and tommy presumably knew everyone was superheroes when slash did she become the black canary in this res in this rebooted crisis or was it always the laurel from earth 2 that somehow showed up and became the black canary i don't know they left it kind of vague there i'm glad that we got the final resolution though that the laurel lance of earth prime is Earth 2 Laurel, because I thought it was a more interesting character. I'm not really taking a shot, just more observationally, because I also saw the creators say that they really liked how Katie Casty had portrayed Earth 2 Laurel, and that it was a far more interesting character. So that's not me taking a shot. It's going to be like, I'm on the same page as the creators. Don't hate me, everyone. Please. They gave her better material. Also true. And you could buy that that Laurel had powers or could fight versus the other that went to the gym for three months and somehow became a superhero neither here nor there i've had my piece i've said my piece on that over the past few years uh did you guys see the interview though with mark guggenheim about how they pulled off the moira resurrection they didn't actually film any of this new that we had with manu bennett this was outtakes that they never added to the dvd box set and stuff because one of those was oliver dreaming about how he might have saved his mother so they were able to reuse that when he asked for all of the archive footage and make it so that Moira survived. So as excited as I was to see Manu Bennett, I was like, man, I hope we get more of him. Sadly, we didn't. That kind of explains why he wasn't there more, because they literally just used a cutscene from season two. So to answer your question about Laurel or pontificate a little bit more, Tommy Merlin is still alive now in different universes. Tommy's the Dark Archer. I don't think he's the Dark Archer in this universe. It didn't seem like it anyway. Uh, but if his father had trained him a little bit, he could have assisted Laurel in training her for a long period of time, even if it was just in self-defense. So if they're dating and, and 
I don't know, uh, sparring or whatever. Maybe that's part of their courtship that Laurel learned a little bit that way. So that is possible. Also, who knows about Tommy's dad? He wasn't there. I don't know if he would have been there if he was alive or not. But Tommy being alive does change a great many things with Laurel and with Oliver. And I wish we would have gotten a scene with Tommy talking to Thea. Because I don't know if they know their brothers and sisters. That's a good question. Yeah, well, they seem to have found out about Emiko. So if Emiko is found out, I'm probably pretty sure they know about Tommy then. But what gets me is Speedy is still Speedy, but the events of season two and with Moira dying, that's what sparks Thea to go to Malcolm and go to the island and become Speedy. So now I'm wondering how or why she would have become Speedy. It's at this point where we start to dig in a little bit more into the backstories here of the resurrections that you just got to take a deep breath and go, okay, because plot, they might be able to explain it in a comic or something like that, but we just got to run with it. Now, I love thinking about, you know, how this might have happened, help out the writers. Maybe they do have a brief backstory in their minds that they want to bring through, but Honestly, there was some stuff that was unbelievable in this episode, and you just got to run through it. Otherwise, you just ruin the episode for yourself. If you start thinking about, well, how could this have possibly happened? Like, how can you bring Mia back, for instance? I mean, we know time travel. It was the Time Bureau's time wrist thing, the, the portal that enables Mia to go back and forth. That alone, if you're not into it, will throw you out the whole thing. It's true. I mean, and who knows, they could try and spin it some various ways of maybe that she felt unsafe after Slade was able to do that to her family. So Oliver started training her stuff like that. Or you could play it off of the Thea of Earth Prime didn't originally go and get trained, but Jean resurrected her memories of times previous to that, which effectively sort of wiped away the past that Oliver created for. It's all kind of fuzzy when it comes to how some of these folks lives might have been in a pre-crisis timeline in the now post-crisis merged world, how it all works together. And it's confusing if you think too hard about it. So much like a lot of different time travel scenarios, sometimes it's better just to go the Neil philosophy and go because plot and just carry on. (laughs) The documentary thing was a nice callback to last season, but everybody talking about crisis and Mike going, but is Supergirl John Jones explained that. I know that's something we have to also hand wave. But I think I just want to talk about it. I want to get this out. This is our last episode. Let's just have the big therapy session. It could be that in the reboot to Star City, Oliver gave everybody the memories in Star City. That's possible, I guess. I don't I don't know. I think it's a point where they didn't coordinate it as well between the teams as they could have. Because John was basically like everyone's heads would explode if they knew what all had happened. Granted, probably a bit of hyperbole there. Moira kind of announcing in a documentary that, hey, when all the Earths were merged, supposedly I was dead, kind of surprised me. And I was like, whoa, so we're just going to be straight up about the fact that we've rewritten time in reality. Interesting. And I wonder how people react to that. Okay, I got that part off my chest. Do we have any other grievances before we move on to the really good stuff? Well, I would just like to say that John Barrowman, 
while they might have wanted to bring Malcolm Merlin back, he had a legit reason he probably wasn't available. Because about the same time they filmed this, I think he was secretly filming an appearance in a show in England that we won't say anymore so as not to spoil people who watch that show potentially. But it kind of falls in line with stuff they've said before, where if you ever have the chance to reprise this character, we're totally cool with you going off and doing that because we're fans, is what they'd said before on this show. So... Maybe that's why Malcolm Merlin didn't show up. I mean, there still potentially could show up on one of the other shows and be like, hey, I'm alive, <laughs> and do something. I don't know what. Guggenheim mentioned that he wanted to bring back Jessica DeGal for her Huntress role. Now, we got the nod last episode in the penultimate episode, which is probably as good as you're going to get, but they did want to have her there at the finale scene. They just couldn't do to scheduling. And he went on to say there was a bunch, actually, that we invited for that final scene that we just couldn't get due to scheduling and we knew that going in so we were okay with people not showing up but he said specifically with jessica degal that they did put that nod in the penultimate to say that she was still around but you just don't know what capacity that she's in around she just wasn't available right and i assume availability is part of the reason why they had to recycle footage from season two to bring slade in for the reveal that more is alive and then he didn't show up again because the way their relationship ended, like kind of on the same page, friends again, it would have been really cool to have had him at the funeral scene at the end and something like, you done good kid or something like that, just to get one last kid reference in there and the grudging respect. And I don't have a Manu Bennett voice, so I'm sorry I tried to pull that off, everyone. That might be a little bit hard to do because you had that scene with him wanting to kill Moira in the same episode. And I realized it was back in season two. Having that flashback in this episode might have been a bridge too far for the teen viewer to go, that was a great bad guy. And what? He's friends now or something like that? So I know we got that with the Al Ghul sisters and stuff, but I don't know. Slade's a little bit, he's a level up there. He was the best villain after all. Talking about appearances, we have to give it to USP for willing into existence. Both Al Ghul sisters at the funeral. Come on, SP, take it away. I would love to take credit for this. I really would. But I think what happened is Katrina Law really enjoys this show and wanted to be there for the finale. So she probably told the Hawaii Five-0. Is that the show that she's on right now? Yes, it's Hawaii Five-0. If she probably told the production staff of Hawaii Five-0, look, they're filming the finale. It's going to be huge. I want to be there for it. So I'll, I'll need like three days. I did check the flight times finally from Hawaii to Vancouver. It's a lot longer than I thought, probably because of the latitude of Vancouver. It's an eight-hour flight back and forth. So it would probably have to have been a three-day trip for her. So actually, Guggenheim did an interview about how Katrina Law showed up. Because I was really curious about whether it happened. I was concerned about logistics originally. He goes, we were filming the funeral scene when her plane landed in Vancouver. She came straight from the airport to the set, filmed her scenes, got back in the car, got back on a plane back to Hawaii. So the way he made it seem in this interview, she was on the ground less than 12 hours before she was back, uh, headed back towards the job on Hawaii Five-0. So... It's really cool they made that happen. It's also really cool that it did not leak. Because remember, when Deathstroke came back, we had all sorts of set leaks and stuff. Of, oh, man, who Bennett's in Vancouver. Must mean he's back in Arrow. They did a great job of hiding the fact that uh, Katrina Law came back probably because she was only in town for 12 hours. It's a lot harder for people to figure out. But great surprise and great reveal. They probably chose the filming location so that they could control. Remember, there was hills on a lot of the sides. 
So unless you were flying a drone, you couldn't have the long range photo photography with the zoom lenses or anything like that. So they, they probably did that on purpose. And I think that only works if you're doing a limited amount of scenes because they brought in Supergirl. They brought in Grant Gustin as the Flash. So it was a great final scene, including Diggle's uh, eulogy. But uh, who else am I missing that showed up at that final that we haven't talked about yet? Emiko, I guess. Emiko shows up briefly. Moira says that the door is always open to her, which is kind of a big about face from what we'd learned of Moira in the past when she first found out about Emiko and basically told Robert, you need to ignore them. They are not part of our life. So this kinder, gentler Moira that survived season two is opening the door towards Oliver's half-sister, hanging out with Oliver's other half-sister. And boy, the the Queen family's all over the place on their kids, aren't they? (laughs) Including... Katrina Law it was great. She played in the two scenes or whatever she had with dialogue. She was great. She basically said, yeah, I had my marriage erased and oh, here's my betrothed or whatever she called Sarah beloved. Here's my beloved. And then Sarah just kind of brushes it off because, you know, she's in a relationship with Ava, but that was just kind of funny. Oh, my heart. When Nissa called Sarah, my beloved, just. Oh, I, I, I know her and Ava are great, but I'm always going to have a little part of me is always just going to be like, I really liked her with Nissa. Okay. There's nothing wrong with liking her and Ava, but also be like, man, I really did like the pairing of Nissa and Sarah. Both characters have evolved past what they were at that point in time and people change and doesn't necessarily mean that that relationship would have survived even if they did stay together. So it's okay to like both and to look back nostalgically on what was before with them. If the original timeline is sustained, we know that Nissa is going to be around a lot in the future with Mia to help train Mia. So we know Nissa stays around if the original timeline is perpetrated in that way. Right. And one return Guggenheim I heard about wasn't really too sure. He actually wrote the scenes with Felicity and wasn't too sure if Emily was going to do it. And he wrote the scenes and he sent them to her and she obviously agreed. And he did say they only ended up being able to have her on set for like two days. Because originally, a lot of the flashbacks we got with Diggle and Oliver, those were supposed to be Diggle and Felicity flashbacks is what he seemed in, not Diggle, excuse me, Oliver and Felicity flashbacks for what he'd indicated. And they said when her availability came back that she could only be on set for about two days, they realized, well, we can't pull off all these flashbacks and then kind of came to the realization, well, these Diggle flashbacks, doing them with John might make a bit more sense than doing them with Felicity. And I can't say that I disagree. I really liked them going back to the very beginning of John and Oliver when they're just starting to become friends, to become brothers, to see eye to eye and just seeing how far that has changed and then to see how John Diggle is holding everyone together in the future while mourning the death of his brother, that he still wasn't there to see him die either time. And now he's got to be kind of the figurehead that holds everyone together as they go off in their different paths. I loved it. And uh, I said on Twitter, David Ramsey's the MVP of this episode in my book because he was fantastic. And I'm not even talking about what he gets to do at the very end of the show. I'm talking about the voiceover work he got to do during Oliver's uh, funeral. I'm talking about all of the scenes he got with the main characters where they were doing their send-offs with each other. Him getting to do the toast with the terrible, terrible vodka. David Ramsey was so intimately involved in so much stuff in this episode, and he killed it. So I was super excited when I saw in some of the interviews that they said, we still have plans for John Diggle 
and David Ramsey, since he's been directing episodes too. And with them moving John and his family to Metropolis, there's a lot, a lot of cool potential of things that could go on there. And I have my own little hope of what it is, which is Argus is trying to counter the Luther Corp-owned DEO and is keeping an eye on them. And that's what Lila's there to do. And John Diggle, of course, is going to go with his wife. And maybe we get a little, bit, a little bit of Lila and Diggle and Supergirl from time to time. That's what I want. Make it happen. Please. Please. So this was a grievance that I forgot to air. She was the director of Argus, right? She was the director of Argus prior to Crisis. We're not sure if she still is or not post-Crisis. Oh, Amanda Waller could be back. Ding, ding, ding. And oh. they can't say Amanda Waller, I bet, because they don't want them talking about the Suicide Squad since James Gunn's Suicide Squad movie comes out in a year or two. So my grievance was going to be, she's already director. How could she possibly get a promotion within Argus? But uh, yeah. It, the implication wasn't necessarily that it was a promotion within Argus either. It could be a completely different organization, too. Or maybe she's going to go run the DEO. Maybe they're going to put her in his... No, we would have heard if that was the case, if she somehow ended up as the director of the DEO. But It's a crowded cast to begin with. They can't add somebody else like that on a regular basis, in my opinion. I think it's... No, Supergirl takes place in National City. He's going to Metropolis. I wonder if he's going to be part of the new Superman show. Oh, that'd be so cool. Yeah, that's what I thought, is they would be doing appearances over there. Or... The other speculation with absolutely nothing behind it is that Diggle would be the lead in the new HBO Green Lantern series, but we don't know that. And they played very coy with what they were allowed to say about that reveal. So th this is the one we haven't talked about, guys. At the end, we've all had our speculation that John Diggle, oh, he should be John Stewart Diggle or something like that and become the Green Lantern. There's something that falls from the sky, explodes in front of Diggle, throws him back. He opens a box, and all you see is a green glow from the box. And they made a point of saying, this was negotiated with Warner a year ago. This is all we were allowed to say or all we were allowed to do with this. So they did not explicitly say he's the Green Lantern. They didn't say it's a Green Lantern ring. For all we know, it could be kryptonite or something in there. But they teased as much as they could, as much as Warner Brothers proper would let them tease. And then they did also say that David Ramsey's appearance in The Flash in their first episode back, he is there as John Diggle. John Diggle only. It has nothing to do with any glowing thing he found in a box. So if they are going to tease the fact that he might have a Green Lantern ring at some point in time, we aren't going to see it anytime soon. And as much as I would love it to be that David Ramsey's going to be the lead in the Green Lantern series on HBO Max, my guess is they're going to try and do their own thing there and not tie it into the Arrowverse, but I could be wrong. I need to step back a second and talk about Felicity. Emily Beck Rickards was one of my favorite characters on the show, really, especially the, the quirky Emily Bet from or Felicity from the first few seasons. I think in the latter seasons, she grew as an actor and that quirkiness of her character was still there. I mean, it was still there even in this episode. It got not overtaken, but there was also a huge part of her, which was a very emotional character. It was an emotional center of original Team Arrow or Team Arrow or their relationship. And I forgot how distracting that came to me as a guy, as an older guy that is not necessarily into that emotional of relationships as I'm just and an older part in my life right now, 
it was nice to see that. I mean, she did have that strong connection with Oliver Queen slash Stephen Amell, but I don't think it would have played well this season. You were talking about before how Diggle came in and was able to do a bunch of the flashback scenes and how that worked very well. I think this season worked better without her and with her able to come in at the end to film that final scene. I would have to agree with you because it was all about his deal with the monitor and that deal with the monitor did not include her. And I have to agree. I mean, I, this is nothing against her, but it almost seems as though last season was meant to be it. And the way that they did it, it, it worked. And then having this, because Arrow season eight was really all pre-crisis stuff. Like you really needed to watch Arrow to really get a little bit more behind crisis if you wanted that a little bit because my mom doesn't watch arrow and she's asking me questions and it's like those things are happening on arrow do you want to watch arrow she's just like no just answer my questions so <laughs> i did i mean effectively you're right arrow this season was prequel to crisis a lot of it a lot of it set up things for crisis or made us think they were setting up things for crisis to kind of just make episodes happen it felt like kind of in hindsight watching things i still enjoyed it i thought it was a lot of fun but i think a lot of people thought arrow was done with last season we touched on it briefly last week that Stephen amell had done michael rosenbaum's podcast inside of you where he talked about the fact in his mind as they're wrapping up season seven season seven was done they had hit all the notes they needed to and then it was wb and cw that came back to him and said we want to do more here's the offer and as he put it it was an offer he couldn't refuse and he said on that podcast he goes I was originally kind of just there for the money. He goes, I was still there, but it was such good money that I had to go back. He goes, but I'm so glad I did it. He goes, because I loved season eight so much. Because from an actor's perspective, he got to do a lot more than just brood as Oliver Queen and shoot things. It was an exploration of Oliver's character, exploration of all his family ties as he's getting ready to prepare himself to die because he's been told he's going to die to save everyone. So it was a really good season, but it was not the original plan, it sounds like at all and it was it seemingly was cw warner brothers kind of going hey we need you to do crisis and we need to find a way to build it up so why don't we use arrow for that which i think lends to why arrow season eight kind of felt like crisis the prequel well while that's what it felt like at the time really the lead into crisis didn't occur until the end minutes of purgatory which was for all intents and purposes the last green arrow episode with Stephen amell alive and in there yeah there was the crossover episode that he became specter and he died to save everybody but unless you watch the previous episodes of the crossover that would be a little bit out of nowhere so where he's standing on the shore of lian yu with mia to me is where Stephen amell's arrow run ended as a, a character that was alive in real time mark guggenheim in the articles i mean we're referencing these articles a lot because we had a lot of information from it but mark guggenheim in the articles in the interviews mentioned that instead of being a lead up to crisis he's basically said that the entire season eight was a finale episode for arrow and in looking back at it yeah it, they took us through the main paces of the show along the way and it was more a way the crisis was just a way to revisit all of the past seasons to get to the point where they did have crisis and then they were able to say the final goodbye. So I will argue that season eight wasn't necessarily lead into crisis. 
that it was a finale season. And if you take all eight hours together, the final episode, an eight hour final episode of Arrow. I see what you're saying. I would argue it's both because they had enough time that it, it served both masters in that regard. They didn't do a really good job of leading up to crisis because in the end, none of it mattered. Well, we didn't know that leading into it, though. And the implication was all of these things were important. All of her building some super weapon that's going to help them in crisis, things like that. I mean, the implication as we're watching it real time is this is important and has repercussions on crisis. The fact that it didn't, in hindsight, we can look back and be like, oh, what, what the heck? But let, let's be honest, when we were talking about those shows, it was partly the farewell to Oliver Queen and Arrow, but also they're ramping up to crisis and planting a lot of seeds is the things we talked about. We were wrong, but that's that was the takeaway that a lot of us took that we're watching the beginning part of season eight of Arrow. We also had some other sweet moments. We had Roy and the uh, Roy has his arm, which is from the comic book. And that moment, you know, when he's going, I have no regrets. If I didn't steal your purse, we wouldn't have met and we wouldn't have been together. And I want you to be, you know, let's, I want to be together forever. And you're getting married. So now I wonder if Mia has any cousins. Ooh, I mean, it's possible. That would be cool to bring into the on-lit, I don't know what they're going to call it. They're not going to call it Arrow and the Canaries, are they? They might. Green Arrow and the Canaries is what it was supposedly going to be called if it gets green lit. <laughs> That's all still TBD as to whether they pick up that show. The ratings were huge. We talked about it last week, but who knows if CW is going to pick up more superhero shows at this point. Well, we've really been talking a lot about the finale, so... Why don't we have overall feelings about the episode? Chris, as a finale, as a series finale, however you want to take it. So I think we had minor quibbles, but when it comes to a series finale, that's okay. There's been so many other series finales that I've watched, and at the end, I'd be like, what the hell? Why would you do that to me? For instance, Chuck, the ending of Battlestar, where I think they lost their way halfway through the episode and then decided to snap their fingers and be like, God did it annoyed me there's plenty of finales out there that just didn't land with people the lost finale for a lot of folks didn't work so this worked and it was because it was small not small scale but it was storytelling that wasn't as tied up into the big events it was we're saying goodbye to oliver we're saying goodbye to the teammates and his family that you've come to love over these years everyone's going to get a moment to shine to say their farewells to remember Oliver, and we're going to set things up for the next chapter, potentially. But at the very least, we close things out so you don't have as many questions being like, oh my god, what happened to character X? What happened to character Y? What's going to happen? As you go back and watch this episode, they kind of closed the book on a lot of characters' plot threads, and you can you can walk away having watched this be like, I feel like I've got a pretty good idea of where everyone's lives ended up as this wrapped up, and if I didn't see any more of them, I'm okay with how it ended, because it all sort of makes sense. And I liked it in that regard because I was very trepidatious because when it comes to finales or final movies in a series, I've talked about on other shows, part of the problem is, and I'm guilty of it myself, is that we all start over-theorizing and over-hyping what's going to happen and build up these crazy elaborate stories in our head of what they could do. It's probably not exactly feasible. And when it's not that, you go, what the hell? That's not what I wanted. And you get angry. I had no idea what they were going to do coming into this, which was probably good. And I think they pushed all of the right buttons for me to walk away and be like, I'm happy. Overall, this finale landed and I'm happy with how everything turned up. And 
I'm pleased by that because I was worried. SP? I enjoyed the finale. It was a lot of great fan service and it was a good closure to the series. And also as a side note, some of the characters we're not too worried about because we do have the grander Arrowverse, which was spawned by this show. And I think even Black Lightning, Black Lightning wouldn't have happened without this show. Well, maybe it might have, but I doubt it. So the rest of the shows directly came from Arrow. And I appreciate that. And I also appreciate that the fact that you didn't have to wrap up every single character's arc. You have some characters that are continuing on in other shows. You got Grant Gunston with The Flash, his own show. You've got Cara Danvers over there. Melissa Benoist with Supergirl. You've got Katie Lotz over on Legends of Tomorrow with a lot of the other characters over there. So you didn't have to wrap up everybody, but you did have to wrap up the Arrow stuff. And I think they did. They wrapped up the Al Goulds. They wrapped up Tommy. They wrapped up Moira. Uh, They wrapped up the fact that Oliver had a 13-year journey. Oliver had a 13-year journey. Sarah Lance had a 13-year journey, and Laura Lance had a 13-year journey. Those were the journeys to watch. And why do I say 13 years? Well, you had the eight years, but you also had the five years of flashbacks, which did include those other characters. Actually included Moira, and included Quentin Lance as well. But really, those three characters were brought all the way through, and it was amazing to be able to see their development over the course of 13 years. I know in season one and season two, Stephen Mel had a little bit of problem acting as the younger five-year-ago playboy self and then the Green Arrow, and which got easier over time because at the end of season five in the flashbacks, when the flashbacks ended, he was basically the Green Arrow that we saw, or the Hood that we saw in season one. Flashbacks were an amazing part about the show, too, and for the finale... I almost wish they were able to do the five-year flashback thing just for old time's sake. But you really did, when you took a look at the story, you did have to take him back to 2012, the year that the show began. So it was an eight-year flashback, not a five-year flashback, but it was still a flashback. So we got the flashbacks. We just didn't get the five-year time dilation. We also got Sam and Ladder, which was pretty cool. So we got a lot of fan service with different things, different plot devices like that. I know Michelle really likes Salmon Ladder. I wish Sarah could have done it one last time because Katie Lotz was also a badass on the Salmon Ladder. Katie Lotz, she and uh, Laurel Lance, Katie Cassidy, they both post these Instagram workout pictures. They are sculpted. They are incredible people to be able to do that. Not because they're actors. They put the time in in order to do that. They're doing the big, huge weighted ropes and everything. And they do these great ab exercises and stuff like that. I'm inspired to go to the gym when I see their Instagram stories. And then also we got a fan service for the Mark of Four. They didn't have to do that, by the way. They didn't have to do that because Oliver had changed Star City. And we don't get those flash forwards that we had previously. I mean, I guess they're still a part of the kids' the new Team Arrows. I don't know. What, what do we call them? It's not new Team Arrow, right? Because it's original Team Arrow and... Is it new Team Arrow? Future Team Arrow? I don't know that they've ever explicitly been given a name or a nickname or anything like that yet. Okay, we'll go with Future Team Arrow. So Future Team Arrow will still have the memories of their flashbacks. Some. Yeah, I think eventually they all will. But Because did William have his memories? We never quite figured that out last week. It looked like it was just Mia that had been unlocked, plus then the Canaries. I don't think that you could... 
that would be such a disservice to William. But anyway, I think if they greenlit it, it could be a fascinating thing where they, he doesn't get his memories back until a later point, and she's going to try and keep some of that from him. And it's typical CW style melodrama that a lot of folks like keeping a secret, and then people find out in the fallout. The one detriment I will say to that is that is the singular reason a lot of people hate the Chuck ending is because Sarah gets her memories, not Sarah Lance, but Sarah and Chuck gets her memories taken away from her. And I think if you propagate that plot point forward, that plot device forward with William, that might backfire, but maybe not. I mean, it's different and it's not a relationship. It's different stuff like that. But anyway, they didn't have to do the Marker four. They did it anyway, and I thought that was a great callback to it, trying to tie up those loose ends because we never saw them get their tattoos. So Mark's all of a sudden like, I got to find some way in season eight for them to get that. Okay, let's do the tattoos right now, which is interesting because she now has the mark of four as she is propelled forward. Dinah, anyway, as she's propelled forward overnight into the future. So my thoughts about the finale, it was great. I enjoyed it. I didn't come away. Like I was mad, like I have at other shows, which is really cool, especially since I podcasted on it for so long. Chris, you podcasted on it longer than I have. I mean, having this to pay off at the end was great. And for that, I have to say thank you. And I did on Twitter. It said thank you to Mark, thank you to Steven, and thank you to Beth Schwartz, because I think without those three, we wouldn't have got the end result that we did. I agree. I enjoyed the finale i enjoyed that we had one big last fight i liked that we got it was really interesting we got this flashback to 2012 and it's almost as though stephen amell grew so much as an actor and it's almost as though we got like the version of, of season one that i think he really wanted to give us and he had the opportunity to basically kind of go back and and do that is this the best finale no is it the worst by far none to me this is i felt i made me cry i felt emotionally satisfied i felt i had a good time with the characters i really felt as though you know like uh, chris said david ramsey is the mvp you know he got to say suit up Felicity was right. It should have been him doing the funeral speech, and he did. And just the way it was written, by the way, how the way it was delivered, it was almost as though like my hand was taken. And it's like, yes, we understand you're going to mourn this as well, and let's mourn it together. I thought it stuck the landing. I was pleased. Why don't we go on to the series as a whole? Whether it's favorite moments from the series or what the series meant to you overall, Chris, let's go ahead and start with you. Oh boy. So the series overall kind of took superhero TV and put it back on the serious path. Now, I really enjoyed Smallville, which I think wrapped its run two years before Arrow started, but Smallville didn't go dark, didn't go serious. It had serious moments. But not quite like this show was, where it embraced the violence and the brutality of being a superhero, and it took us down a path that it made really compelling TV, and you could argue that it helped build the backbone of the CW here over the last, what, eight years. As Arrow is successful, they tried more spinoffs and more spinoffs, and now you've got people that are, in my demographic, 30-year-old men who are watching the CW, because it used to be a lot of the stuff that was on there, you had Supernatural, and then 
other shows that weren't really appealing more towards the male demographic. So they've done a huge job of kind of opening their demographic and getting more viewers, more ratings in. But the show as a whole, I will always enjoy it. But I will say this much. There are certain seasons when I go back and rewatch the show that I will probably skip because the highs were great, but the lows were pretty bad. And I've said before on this show, there were times I said, if we weren't podcasting on this show, I would have stopped watching it. So I understand why some people did. I get it. I love the payoff we got in the end with everything that we'd seen. It made it worthwhile, but it doesn't make me go, I'm going to rewatch those moments that really didn't work for me because I probably won't. It's probably the same with most shows. But overall, I was really pleased with the finale and what all it did for the series as a whole for me. SP? Wow, the series. Uh, first of all, I wouldn't have watched the series had Wing not said, hey, you want to do a podcast? Sure. About what? Arrow. I'm like, DC Comics. Uh, okay, I guess. I just really wanted a podcast. So I came on the show and then became really enamored with it. I watched a few episodes and he knew I was going to get hooked with the fights. Really, because I had never seen anything like it before. I'm not a big fighter guy. Like, I don't watch wrestling on TV. I don't watch boxing or anything like that. But I just really enjoyed the action. It was believable for the most part. And yeah, they do stuff that they have to because they're filming the episodes in eight days. But the wire work, the practical effects, the actual physical movements of either the stunt people or the actors were pretty cool. So... Because of this, because of the podcast, and because Arrow was good in season one and two, I got to experience every single episode of the Arrowverse. Yes, that's right. I have watched to date, to this very moment, every single episode in the Arrowverse. All the shows I've watched, every episode of Supergirl, every episode of Flash, every episode of Black Lightning, every episode of Legends of Tomorrow, up to today. And I would not have had that opportunity to lead up into crisis and i was complaining about it last fall where i didn't want to watch everything but watching everything enabled me to get to crisis so watching arrow season one allowed me to get this far the crossovers by far were my favorite i mean i've had some favorite episodes like i just mentioned slab side the um fight on the mountaintop with al ghul and i think there's been some tremendous episodes of this show there's also been some stinkers like in the lead up to the episode they played a clip from the finale of season four and i don't know why but they chose the stupid rooftop scene where felicity and mr terrific were up there diverting the missile I'm like yeah that's first of all that's not how missiles work second mm-hmm. of all you can't divert it like okay I, ah, as a rocket scientist me is going on and on so yeah season four it's what well, the season four finale in particular that moment of it was pretty bad but then Stephen amell he was also on the street and he was trying to rise the city up and that's where we get mary queen eventually so is the show perfect no or is the Arrowverse perfect no but this season the series and this Arrowverse has outlasted Marvel TV. Yeah, one might argue that the last season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. airs this summer, but the Arrowverse is going on. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. airs and that's it. That's all that was there from 2013, which is when Marvel TV really started. It's like, in my opinion, and I don't know if you guys are old enough to remember this, The Simpsons, one of the main 
things that they want, what goals that they wanted to do with that show is they put it head to head with the Cosby show because the Cosby show at that time was just tremendous. You couldn't move it. No other show could go up against it. They put the Simpsons up against it. And within like a couple of years, Cosby show ended because the ratings were going down. Now, one could argue that the Cosby show was getting to a point where it needed to end anyway, but the Simpsons pushed that away. Did the Arrowverse kill Marvel TV? No, but the Arrowverse is still alive. And it's because of Arrow. It's because of Stephen Amell. It's because of Mark Guggenheim. So yeah, it's pretty cool. The other thing I want to say about this series in particular, the villains. Take a look at the list of villains and the actors that they had playing all the villains. I mean, we talked about John Barrowman before, but we had J. August Richards, Menu Bennett, as you said. We had Summer Glau. We had... Neil McDonough, we had Kirk Acevedo, we had Tobias Church, we had some tremendous villains, some tremendous actors who are on their peak, on or at their peak in the game right now, and the list goes on and on and on. We also had fan favorites like Ben Browder come in, we had James Callis talking about BSG, you know, he came in as the Dodger before, so we had Michael Emerson. Michael Emerson. It was phenomenal having these people on. I don't know if I've ever seen a list of this many villains, this many quality villains on a show. Now, were there some villains that were more believable than others? Yeah. I mean, Dolph Lundgren, his acting skills are not the best, but he did a good job on this show. So, yeah, I would say that the show really brought out the great villains as well as the great superheroes and super friends. So yeah, I, I, I enjoyed building the Arrowverse. It was fun to watch. Yeah, I went back and the only other major comic book property on television at the time was The Walking Dead. You know, Game of Thrones has just started, I believe. And here we had this, like they couldn't do Batman. So that's fine. And they took this character that not maybe a lot of people knew and they put this guy that nobody knew in this role and it worked. What I really liked about the show, the action, the fights, I, I mean, I know Daredevil and everything, they had those great fights as well. But as we keep saying, we know how television is filmed when you've got, you know, eight days to actually put all of this on well, film, not anymore, but video or whatever. It's just amazing. I know sometimes the show got crowded, especially when it kind of got with like Renee and all that type and Dinah and everything. But we got some very interesting female characters. I loved what they did with Sarah. If it wasn't for the show, we wouldn't have, you know, Katie Lotz would not be able to show us how glorious she is. And I'm really happy about that. We got, you know, Nissa and Talia Ghoul. I would have loved more as the Huntress. And while I know Felicity is a thorn on some people's side, I liked that she was there. There were times when she just said the right thing. The quirky part of it when, you know, she's, here's the fern or... The red pin, like at the end of the finale, she got the red pin. That was a great callback. So, you know, like what they do with, you know, Felicity and the whole 
Laurel thing. I know there was a big bumps there, but we ended up getting Black Siren. So I was really happy for Katie Cassidy for getting Black Siren. And I have to agree, Chris, if it wasn't for this podcast, there would have been times when I would have stopped watching. But you guys, you know, we got we were able to get through it together. So this show, I'm going to miss it. But man, like, what are we going to call the rest of the shows? Are we still going to call it the Arrowverse, even though the show's gone? Yep. Still the Arrowverse. Yep. I think we have to. Yeah, there's been a lot of debate on that out in the open. Mark Guggenheim basically came out and said, yeah, we're still going to call it the Arrowverse. There's been a lot of the actors that have come out and said that we're still going to call it the Arrowverse. And in the pre-show, I don't know if you got a chance to watch it or not, Michelle, they did call it the Arrowverse. There was actually a placard on there, a Chiron, that said the Arrowverse. So it's official canon. That's amazing. And that's what it should be. It was built on the back of Green Arrow. And Stephen Amell and that group of folks, they built an entire universe. They should be proud of what they've done there. And hopefully, if they so want to, can continue to be involved in various other products in this universe. I mean, I know we talked about earlier the hope that David Ramsey might be appearing in Superman spinoff, things like that. There's potential we can still see these characters again. There's potential you could still see Oliver Queen again, the way they've done things. And Stephen Amell had seemingly been open to some small appearances back, things like that before. So we'll see. There's a ton of stuff they could still do, but I can also understand if you've been a longtime viewer and you said, this is a good place for me to step off. I've seen this, I've seen this great arc. I've seen how things have shifted and I'm good with walking away now and making it so that this is where it all ends for me. There's nothing wrong with that because we've hit a good natural ending for a lot of these things. We had uh, a lot of conversations, listeners, about whether or not we should, in the podcast, we talked about, do we want to pivot? Do we want to do something else? But we all agreed that this era was ending, so it's good for the Starlight Tribune to end. It's a good place. What moments do you remember from the podcast? What do you want to say about the podcast as the whole? Start the roundtable again with Chris. One of my favorite bits on the podcast, we haven't really done in a while because it evolved past it, but one of the early on jokes with the Starling Tribune was that, oh, this is just uh, Batman slapped the name of Green Arrow on it. We had the bat checklist and it just made me laugh. So, And other people were on board with this too because there are always like articles in comicbook.com and things like this where they're like, oh, here's Batman references. And as much as I love that, I also enjoyed the fact that eventually it just kind of morphed into here's DC Universe references. We should probably stop calling it the Bat Checklist because they're just trying to Easter egg as much stuff as they can and just have fun with mentioning other things that exist in that world. So I had a ton of fun with that. Honestly, a lot of what I'll look back on on, on this podcast is just having the opportunity to know that each week when we go chat with some friends about a TV show that we all enjoyed, and sometimes we're all going to love it. Sometimes we're all going to hate it and commiserate with each other and be like, well, the next one's going to be better. And sometimes we're going to argue so hard we start to get a little mad at each other and go, wait. It's a podcast. This is for fun. Why am I getting mad? Because you don't agree with what I'm saying. That's what this is about. I'm going to miss those kinds of things because I like debating things, even or even especially stupid little plot points that make no sense, but somehow I get wrapped up around because I, I did that. And I will honestly miss the uh, the ragging on that I got for uh, my dislike <laughs> of early on Laurel Lance. I just decided I had to embrace that gimmick and it kind of became a thing of its own. And uh, I saw Suncast pop in the chat room with hashtag no Laurel, no arrow. 
And it brought back a lot of memories of my dislike for the character and everyone expecting me to be cheering when she died, but just kind of me going, meh, I don't care. <laughs> I've had a lot of fun doing this, and it's because not the show's fun, that's great, but it's because of all the people that have been involved in this. It's made it a lot of fun, and that's what I'm mostly going to look back on and remember is the fun moments we had, the fun jokes we had. And that also includes all the viewers that came in and would toss comments in our chat room or who would be in the chat room when we were doing these things on Blab instead of YouTube, stuff like that. The interaction we had and the stories we can tell going forward and the good memories we have to go back on, that's what I'm always going to remember more than anything else. SP. I got a couple things to say. The podcast to me was always like a team. Now, for those of you that don't produce a podcast, there's a lot that goes on with actually producing a podcast. And production could mean anything from executive producer, like you think of Beth Schwartz, to just editing and posting and publishing. And there's a fair amount of stuff that you do across the board. But I can honestly say that this podcast would never have occurred without a team, just like Team Arrow, like Stephen Amell. Oliver Queen would have never made it through without the team. We've always had that team. Chris, you've been here since day one. You, as many as much as people think me as the head of Starling Tribune, you're really original team Starling Tribune. You were there on episode one. You guys did about 12 episodes before Jay and Wing and I caught up. So you, you've been there for much longer than I have. And you've progress to helping with the video production without you the video production wouldn't happen because my bandwidth isn't enough to even do what we're doing right here and so you're you're really the the center of the show and uh, we'll just call you like diggle right um, i'm i get to be diggle yeah you get to be oh, diggle. man i am far too fat to be david ramsey's john diggle <laughs> <laughs> get on that salmon ladder man yeah i better get working on that salmon ladder <laughs> so michelle took on the show notes so she's like the captain of our team so i'll just call her sarah lance and for those that didn't catch the beginning uh, i don't know if it was your first show michelle but it was your first arrow show it was season four episode 18 was your first arrow show and ever since uh, the in the middle of the next season, you took over the show notes. You've been doing them ever since. So without you and being the captain of deciding what we were going to talk about and what we're not going to talk about, then the shows just wouldn't have happened. So you're like that. So I'll call you like Sarah Lance. You're Captain Lance right there, right? Heather, and I'm going to call her out. For those long-term listeners, you might have heard of us mention Heather before. Heather is our virtual assistant slash editor. I am too busy doing three or four other podcasts every week uh, that is going down, especially with Starling Tribune ending. Uh, but I didn't have enough time even to do the audio editing. So Heather stepped in and she has been editing the show ever since really I took it over from wing. And that goes back to season four when Jay, Chris and I were the main hub at the beginning of season four. So I want to thank Heather very much for doing all the editing for more than half the shows of Starling Tribune. And without Heather, this wouldn't have happened. And uh, since she's basically uh, the woman on the keyboard, we can either call her Overwatch or Felicity. So, you know, we'll go with whatever Heather wants there. <laughs> Wing, Nightwing, uh, we joke a lot about Wing and the fact that he can't pronounce H's because he's French-Canadian, didn't grow up speaking English, he grew up speaking French. 
He started a fair amount of shows on the Gunna Geek Network, including this one, Starling Tribune. So basically, you can think of him in terms of Oliver's father. You know, he started us on this journey and then uh, left us abruptly. And uh, we took the show over from it. So we'll just call him Stephen Amell's or Oliver Queen's father right there, right? He's Robert. We'll call him our own Robert. Okay. He's our own Robert. For those that didn't know, the show started with Wing, Chris, and a guy called JS. And JS was great. He came in and he had some very colorful things to say. And <laughs> he was guiding us in terms of uh, looking at the production of the show. Uh, so we'll just call him our Yao Fei because he left within the first <laughs> season, right? So we'll call him Yao Fei. Uh, Jay came along in the first season as we were doing our rewatch. And uh, I don't know. Uh, We'll just call him Tommy. So Jay, Tommy, and then Neil was the last main host that we had on the podcast. And he came in, he was, he was great. He, uh, or had us do some things that we didn't do before. And we just had a fun time with Neil. And due to the fact that we were recording on a day that he couldn't join us and that we're all East coasters and he's West coasters, he couldn't match up his schedules as much for us. So he, uh, left the show. Um, he's always welcome back. If we do another show on anything else, he's always welcome back. And I'll just call him our Anatoly. So that has been the team, right? That has been the team here. And I'm not calling myself Stephen Mel, but hey, you know, I've been going to the gym, right? So, <laughs> uh, no, I won't call myself Stephen Mel at all, but uh, we're, we're a team. We're like the Team Arrow. And I think that's my favorite moment is being able to work with everybody in order to make this happen. And it's been great. And if you fast forward it through the intro to this show, you should go back and listen to it. It is literally the first words all the hosts have had on the show is in the intro. And I think Michelle's first words were very, very prophetic. I don't think she remembered saying those words. Uh, they're all quotes from the show, by the way. So it's not us saying anything, but there are first words that we all said on the starling tribune so that's pretty cool and then my other favorite thing that's happened on this show it's similarly to voices of defiance we have had back channel communications from the production staff and it's fun every time we get a message like that that's kind of my favorite part of the show we didn't talk about it on the show and we're not going to talk about it on the show but i just want to say thank you to the production staff that have reached out to us and we did get that one call out. You guys remember that one call out where they said the Starling Tribune on the show? I'm getting blank stares from my co-host. Yes, <laughs> they, they gave us a call out and, and we mentioned it on the show. Not the Starling Tribune podcast, but like the Starling Tribune newspaper. So that was a call out to us. Uh, so I just want to say thank you for that. So that's my favorite moments for the podcast. For me... I had been part of one podcast that just sort of fell apart. And then I had guested a little bit on All Things Good and Nerdy. This is my first actual week-to-week -week podcast. This is the first one. This is the one where I learned how to do just talking regularly on a podcast, being able to grow as part of a team. Hopefully, I've gotten better over the years. I'm going to say that I have. That's what I'm going to do. I remember doing an unboxing. I don't know if you guys remember when I did the unboxing and <laughs> yeah, I just I started, <laughs> yeah. like if it wasn't about 
the show, I just chucked it over my shoulder. <laughs> that was not planned at all. I was just, I had room behind me. It was at my old place and there was just room behind me and I didn't have any room on my desk. So I didn't know where to put it. And so I'm just like, oh, boom. And I just remember you guys were just laughing so much. And then I cried when you guys asked me to be a full-time part of this. I'm a woman on the internet. There's not a lot of there are still problems you know we're still you know having that fight and everything but i never from you guys ever had the whole well from a woman what do you think i was always it wasn't like like you didn't see my gender like you don't see my gender you always appreciated that sort of that point of view but i never got there was like never any sort of disrespect we didn't really disrespect each other if we didn't have the comic book knowledge or the whatever it's just you know, friends getting together to talk about a TV show. Some of it was therapy sessions. Some of it was just, you know, good old fun. I'm going to miss this. I've actually talked about how I, I do have a mental illness and being able to come on and do something like this is a big step. In fact, I was actually, there has been a long time. I actually went dark on the Gonna Geek Network for a long time. And Steven, who's the network owner, and you guys, we're like, we understand why you went dark and we're so happy that you're back. And for anyone who's ever like had a dirty like that, it means so much. So this ending, I, I know we're still friends. Like I know we're going to be friends after this. We better be. <laughs> but this show really helped bring me out of a funk. It helped me feel belonged. It helped me socialize better with people. So for this, it, it means a lot. And I just want to thank you and I want to thank everyone who's ever listened. And yeah, thank you. Podcasting is a powerful thing. It's why I do better podcasting to help a lot of other people get to the point where we have been and that we have been able to bring Michelle on and, and share in her wonderful journey and just have some fun every week. That's the basis of this, just having fun. But it also means more once you've been doing something for a while. Well, and we've never talked about it explicitly, I don't know, on the show, but in all likelihood, Michelle not joined us. The show was probably going to die because SP and I were not having a lot of free time to be able to look at show notes or do a lot of show prep, things like that. And Michelle, we were lucky enough that she came, joined us, uh, joined in our shenanigans on the internet, and helped keep it going for... <laughs> Three more seasons? Two and a half more seasons? I can't remember how much. Three and a half, yeah. Yeah, and helped us grow it a lot. So, I mean, we wouldn't be here without Michelle having come to join us. We wouldn't be here without any of the past hosts that were mentioned in the intro or mentioned by SP. This was built upon everyone's backs, everyone coming together to talk about something that interested them. And yes, we've had turnover, things like that, but it's not acrimonious. It's just people moved on to other things. We occasionally check in with them, hear about things, and it, it's kind of nice, let's pat ourselves on the back a little bit here, that we it was fun almost 99% of the time through it, and I don't think we had many instances of hurt feelings towards each other over something that was going on, or the show breaking up because people weren't getting along, like you hear a lot of other stuff happening. Everything changed here because people naturally moved on to other things, and I'm really happy that's, that, that that's how that worked out. And out of all of the stuff I've done, this is the first show that I'm doing that has like a natural ending to it that I've shut down. Like 
we did steven and i did a walking dead show and it it died because we just couldn't keep it going between the two of us and time things and we never ended it quite on the note we wanted to and i'm really happy that we're getting to end the starling tribune on the note that we want to which is the show's done we're getting a wrap up talk about what it meant to us to say thank you to all of our co-hosts that have been with us in the past those that are on there with us now same with the fans and folks like that who are who've been watching and supporting us through all this so Thank you also to everyone who's been with us on this journey. We couldn't have done it without you guys. And you guys are the ones that made this so rewarding. We weren't doing it to go out there and be like, oh, people think we're great. But it was really great to hear back from some of you folks as you're watching. Like, hey, I'm really enjoying the show. That's a great idea. Even if sometimes it's like, what the hell were you thinking? This is obviously what that point (laughs) meant in the episode. It all came from a place of love. It all came from a shared love of the TV show or the comics that birthed it, things like that. So. I'm proud that this is how it ends. And, you know, on a positive note, all of us looking back and be like, we had a great time. And I'm still not a comic book expert. Neither am I anymore because I stopped reading them. <laughs> Same. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> well, we talked a lot about Stephen. Uh, we asked Stephen to send in some feedback. It's kind of long, but stay with it because he's got a lot of great points. Chris, why don't you press play? Yep, so here's Steven with his stuff. Hey there, Chris, Michelle, and SP. Steven Jondra here, you know, network owner of Gunna Geek, past guest of Starling Tribune, and just general guy that gives people lots of trouble on the internet. No, that's that's actually SP that does that. But uh, I just wanted to send you a quick message here today, a quick voicemail slash video message, whatever you want to call it, because it is your final episode of the Starling Tribune. I wanted to address this week's episode, the finale of Arrow, but also first and foremost, and most importantly, congratulate you on your run of the Starling Tribune. I know that there's been a lot of different faces over the course of the Starling Tribune, but it has been a show on the Gunna Geek Network that covered the show from the beginning through the end, and it was quite the accomplishment. And I wanted to say congratulations to you, as well as everybody else that has been involved through the Starling Tribune over the years, even if you did have some questionable decisions like having me guest on the show occasionally. Seriously, what a questionable decision. But no, seriously, uh, thank you for having me on. Joking aside, it was quite nice to have that invite a couple of different times and be on there. And I just want to go and say uh, right now, set the record straight. Uh, Yes, I have been invited many times on the Starling Tribune. However, The recording has just generally been on a night that I have been busy doing family things. So I haven't been able to. I would have loved to have done it more. It was very kind of you to invite me on. And I wanted to say thank you and sincerely thank you for that invite. And yes, congratulations for going through all of these years, through all of these seasons of Arrow. We know there were some real stinkers in there, yet you prevailed and you continued on. I don't know how you did it because, yeah, there there was some really bad bad seasons of arrow yes but talking about this finale here i have to say i really really enjoyed the finale i thought it was well done overall it was a nice send-off especially given that really these kind of last couple episodes were really bonus for this season if you look at the arrow story it pretty much ended during crisis that's where it was clearly meant to end actually it was clearly meant to end last season but putting that aside for this season it was meant to end at crisis so it was kind of a really nice way that they just sort of threw the usual playbook out 
and just gave some fan service as they wound down this show. I thought it was fantastic. And I, I really was surprised at how much I enjoyed it because there was a lot of things in there that traditionally with a show I wouldn't normally like. For example, the fact that they just went all in on the fan service, bringing back a bunch of different characters. If this was like Flashpoint, where it just happened and things changed and nobody really was was aware of it, it might have felt like Baby Sarah, where we just felt like we were robbed of many seasons. But because it was explained in a manner that made sense with Crisis, it worked. It worked when you looked at sort of the scope of what Crisis has done to the entire Arrowverse. And see, we can say Arrowverse now because it really did just pay tribute to what we saw over the eight seasons of Arrow, but also gave us back those familiar faces if we ever want to see them again. And it was well done the way that they even revealed some of those faces in that final scene. I thought that was so well shot. Well, not the final scene, but the scene where they're at the funeral. I thought that everything was really well framed where they were showing and just quickly explaining how people were there and also just seeing face after face through the crowd. I thought that was really fantastic to see and just going from one person to another. And I lost it when I saw Barry and Kara show up. I didn't think that that was going to be the case. And I was really surprised and pleasantly surprised. And I thought they just did a really fantastic job there from the entire episode framing I thought that they even structured it in a manner that really just gave a nice nod to the entire run. We had one big last fight. And who was the one that had this conflict that we saw this entire time? Another queen. Another queen had this internal conflict and did the right thing. That was such a common theme throughout the series of Arrow. And also bringing those flashbacks back again. I loved it. And it was... So nice just to see that bit of the early seasons. The flashbacks were something that we used to talk about regularly, us fans. I almost completely forgot until I saw this that that was a highlight. There was episodes where we went, wow, the flashbacks were the takeaway from this episode. And this was a nice way to pay tribute to that. So I just thought the structuring of the episode was a great way to wind it down. The way they actually did some character interaction was a fantastic way. The way they shot it. And then the scene at the end, the heartwarming scene where we finally got to see a little bit past where Felicity went off last season. I've made it clear I'm not a big fan of Felicity, but it was part of it. It was part of Arrow and it worked as the last season. And yeah, it made me uh, do one of those cry things for the audio listeners. I'm giving the the cry symbol on my face. Uh, It was well done. And I was so glad that they got Emily back for this. That would never have worked if they didn't. And it was just such a good send off. I have to say out of a lot of the series finales that I've seen, this probably ranks up there because it worked in the context of crisis and just giving everybody a farewell, especially given we did have a couple of those stinker seasons, the way that this just paid homage to the core of Arrow. I really, really liked it. I also want to give respect for them bringing back the uh, young William actor. That was the William actor that we should see in the finale too. No offense to, I don't know his name, but old William, it made sense to have young William back. And I think actually on Twitter, uh, the fellow who plays old William actually agreed with that as well and made that sort of statement. But 
it was nice to see him back. I was worried that we we forgot about him this season, and that was really cool. Plus the interaction between him and Mia. Oh, it was just so well done in so many regards. I will say that there was a couple of things that I thought were a little shaky, just keeping it short and sweet. I thought their crisis explanations themselves really could have gone without. Those were kind of the downsides, like how they explained that Oliver could only bring back the people that didn't change him. And that's why you can bring Robert back. Well, that's not true because there is an endless amount of script over the course of the series that shows that every single death played a critical part of Oliver as well. Uh, the way that they treated that documentary at the beginning where they're acknowledging that the whole world knows there was another world. I think in Supergirl, they explained that differently, that everybody's heads would explode or something like that if everybody knew the past. And I kind of like the idea of just our core people on the different shows knowing what once was and everybody else not knowing, but we'll see where that leads. If they decide to go that way, then I'll just assume that this was just a one-off, a misstep sort of thing. And we'll just forget about that. But yeah, really the big issues that I had in air quotes for big have to do with the way that they sort of really tried to granularly explain crisis. I thought that they would have been better without that, but it was it was really quite minor. I again big in air quotes because I thought this is, this was just a really good finale, and I left with a big smile on my face. And I'm going to watch this several times. And actually, as I finished this, I said to myself, "Got to get this series on disc once it's out as a series box set." But seriously, I was really really happy with that, and uh, I thought that it was just a really well done series finale. So thank you very much to everybody who was involved with Arrow and giving us this wonderful send-off. For me, it nailed it, and I was so, so happy with it. But furthermore, again, thank you to everybody involved with Starling Tribune, especially to Chris, Michelle, and SP for continuing it through to the final episode of Arrow. Pat yourselves on the back, and thank you again for having me on in the past. It really was an honor, and it's been an honor having the Starling Tribune on the Gunna Geek Network. Stephen, thank you very much for the feedback, especially for the moment that you told us to pat ourselves on the back. So, okay, all three of us, let's go ahead. Let's pat ourselves on the back. My chair lowered. <laughs> <laughs> I hit the wrong button. <laughs> uh, Felicity will fix that, or Cisco will fix that later. Okay. And that was some great feedback. I was listening to that earlier when he first sent it in and there was just, it, it was really great feedback. So thank you very much for sending that in. All right, guys, that brings us to the end of the show, which is the end of the show. Are there any last things that you want to say about Starling Tribune, Arrow, Arrowverse, Gonna Geek before we start to depart, Chris? Uh, two words. Thank you. Michelle? Yeah, thank you for, you know, I tried my best at this. This is, again, my first really in-depth podcast. So thank you for everything. And yeah, being part of the network, all the support. I really can't think of anything else right now. Okay. I want to say a final thank you to all the listeners, uh, especially the listeners that have reached out and given us feedback. It was amazing. And we're still going to be available on our Discord server, which you can find at gunnygeek.com slash Discord. 
the Starling Tribune channel on the Discord will eventually transition to Arrowverse. So I've already coordinated with Steven. It is going to happen. It's just a matter of when. We want to make sure the podcast gets out and people have a chance to listen to it. Then we're going to switch it to Arrowverse. So you can come on in and you can discuss everything DC related, especially the Arrowverse related over on the Guinea Geek Network there. And the podcast isn't going to go away. It's not how I roll with podcasts. I keep them available. So the RSS is still going to be available. That's the feed that powers podcasts. So wherever you find your podcast, wherever you listen to this podcast, we're not going to delete the videos from YouTube, although Chris might, I don't know how he feels about them or not. And we're not going to take the podcasts down. They will still be available. If you have problems finding them, you can go ahead and message me anytime on Twitter at Stargate Pioneer or email me Stargate Pioneer at goodygeek.com. And you can go ahead and uh, give me a shout out and we'll make sure that you get the podcast. If we get enough feedback, we might come back and do uh, a, another episode at some future time. Chris has alluded to wanting to maybe do an episode. It depends on what goes on, but we're not going to be doing a uh, continual podcast anytime soon. This will be the last episode of Starling Tribune, especially on arrow because well, there is no more arrow. So we'll just see how that goes. So it's been fun guys. Thank you to all the listeners and thank you. Uh, YouTube. And you can all still find us online. None of that's going away. We all do other stuff. Not going to plug those things, but you can find us in other places still. And I'm sure all three of us are going to be crossing paths on same shows from time to time still, too. So there'll be many reunions, I'm sure. Well, it's been a great run, guys. Any last words before we sign off at the Chris Farrell? It's the end of an era, Hoss. I was hoping you would do it. I'm, I'm like going, if he doesn't do it, yep. One last time. Can't break the streak. <laughs> nope. At Stargate Pioneer. Hashtag World of Heroes. And I am at Michelle Ely signing off with hashtag Farewell Salmon Letter. <laughs> Oracle, it's time to power down the bunker. Ooh. This was the Starling Tribune. You can leave us feedback at gunnageek.com or check out our archive at starlingtribune.com. Visit gunnageek.com for more podcasts. Music by Kevin McLeod can be found at incompetech.com. This podcast is not produced or maintained by the CW, Warner Brothers Television, CTV, or DC Comics. All characters, stories, and situations are the property of Time Warner. No infringement is intended. We will see you for the next episode of CW's Arrow.